Welcome to The Sandbox with Justin Peters, connecting you to the ideas and tools to improve your life. Now let's go. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Sandbox. I'm your host, Justin Peters, and I love our planet. I love all it has to offer, the beautiful landscapes, the clean water, oxygen. It gives us so much. And yet we take without considering the implications of our decision. There is no doubt in my mind that we are causing long-term damage to our environment. And I think most sane people out there want to know how they can help reverse some of the environmental damage that we're doing. But it can feel really overwhelming to try to start making that impact. So what can we do to do our part in helping the planet? My guest, Tippy Thull, asked herself the same question. And that's when she heard her son talking about zero waste. That kicked off a New Year's resolution in 2018 to reduce her trash. Her efforts paid off big time. Today, her family's weekly trash can fit into the palm of your hand. It's absolutely incredible. I invited Tippy on to educate me about the zero waste movement and discuss her efforts towards a more sustainable lifestyle. Tippy is here to convince us that we can do the same without breaking the bank on eco-friendly products or being this huge inconvenience to our lifestyle. In this episode, Tippy will share why receipts aren't recyclable, which I had no idea, why food scraps don't just biodegrade in landfills, strategies for reducing waste during the holidays, and so much more. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Tippy Thole. Tippy, welcome into the Sandbox. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been following you for a little while. I don't even know how I got connected with you originally. I followed you on Instagram. I think I was just looking for some inspiration around sustainability, environmentalism. I was trying to figure out where I fit in the whole picture. And then I came across you and Zero Waste and I loved everything about it. Uh, and um, I reached out to you and just wanted to bring you on the show. This is a little bit different than what I typically have uh, that I'm usually discussing on the show, but I think it's really, really important. And I really wanted to talk about um, the Zero Waste movement. I saw this stat while I was researching you. Um, it was about uh, Earth Overshot Day. And it was it, it, Earth Overshot Day is essentially the day where we have consumed a year's worth of resources, natural resources. And in 2018, I saw um, that day hits on August 1st. So essentially, we don't even get through a whole year uh, after we consume a year's worth. And then they also had the stat on a country's overshot day. And it's this one blew me away. The U.S., was March 15, not even a quarter of the way into the year before we use all of our resources. Um, so I think this is so important. I um, wanted, wanted to figure out what I can do. And I always got wrapped up in policy and all of this. And I realized, I don't know if I can make that impact. And then once again, I came across zero, the zero waste movement. So can you kick things off? Uh, tell us a little bit about you and what the zero waste movement is. Okay, so uh, my name is Tippy. Um, I am a freelance graphic designer. I'm um, a single mom. I have uh, a little boy who's 11. And we have been living um, close to a zero waste lifestyle for about three years now. And it all started when I learned about uh, the plastic pollution crisis back in 2017. And my son, he's, um, 
he's a nature lover. Uh, he always cared about being outside in the wilderness. He loved animals. And so it was an easy sell to say, listen, we need to reduce our plastic usage um, because we don't want to contribute to the problem. And so we made changes at home um, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but basically we've reduced our household trash to um, a small trash can about this size each week um, by making some uh, lifestyle changes at home. And it was the same thing. I've always cared about the environment um, like you. And I was sort of at a loss for what I could do. Um, it wasn't realistic for me to go on cleanup expeditions, you know, halfway across the world. Um, I wasn't going to be entering politics anytime soon. So I'm like, what can I do as an individual? And I realized that our um, consumer choices make a huge difference and our lifestyle choices make a huge difference, not only to ourselves, but to people around us. And so um, I kind of started where I could. I just decided, you know what? I don't want to contribute to the problem anymore. Um, and so that was how I was going to start being part of the solution. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mention um, that you're a freelance graphic designer because that comes out in in your brand. You have this awesome brand called Tiny Trashcan, and it's it's such a great visual. And for the people that aren't watching video right there, you showed you showed the trashcan. But can you describe how tall that that trashcan is there? Uh, it's about maybe four inches tall and maybe two and a half inches wide. It's like a little mini, mini metal trash can, kind of <laughs> like the one you would see Oscar the Grouch in uh, Sesame Street, but <laughs> it probably holds about two cups worth of trash, I mm -hmm. would say. So all your trash for the week can fit into that? Yes. Nice. So this all started, I believe, um, January 1st, 2018. Am I right? Yes, it was a New Year's resolution, actually, because I just need a deadline. <laughs> I yes. needed a starting point and, um, and I needed to hold myself accountable too. like I posted on social media to my friends and family like, hey, we're doing this um, because I wanted to, I really wanted this to work out and I really wanted to um, keep this New Year's resolution. And it's the only one I've ever kept. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about the uh, zero waste lunchbox that you got involved with? I'd love to hear that story. Yes. So um, like I said, this all kind of started organically. And one of the things that kind of started me down this road was uh, joining my son at his lunch at his school. Uh, so I was there on a Friday and parents can kind of join their kids for lunch. I was teaching Green Club, I think that day. So I stuck around. We were having lunch and uh, I started noticing, you know, at the end of the lunch period, all these wrappers and straws and drink boxes and things were ending up in the trash can. And, uh, you know, I sort of said to my son, oh, that's so unfortunate. It's really disappointing. Like, look how much, and this is just this one class. And he goes, yeah, and it's, um, it's zero waste Fridays. And I said, it's zero waste Fridays. I hadn't even heard the term zero waste at this point. And he said, yeah, on, uh, on Fridays, you're not supposed to uh, bring any trash in your lunchbox. So, you know, prior to this, uh, I had always packed what I called a trash-free lunch. You know, I would pack my son uh, things in like re reusable containers. He went to school with a water bottle. So we didn't have any trash in our lunch. So I thought, well, this is something that maybe I could get involved in, help the Green Club, uh, make this a more effective program because here I was as a parent of a child in green club and I didn't even know about this initiative right and I also knew having you know made some changes at home myself that trying to make a habit change once a week like every Friday 
is not going to change habits because you would still shop, you know, and pack your kids grocery or pack your kids lunchbox the exact same way. It's just on Fridays, you just wouldn't put in the granola bar, but it's not changing your buying behavior. So I thought, you know what, what we need to do is do something where we ask uh, families to pack a trash free lunchbox for the entire week. Mm. Because then if you forget on Monday, you still got Tuesday. And if you didn't do it completely on Tuesday, you still got Wednesday and you can kind of course correct. And hopefully by the end of the week, you've, you've tried some things that are actually sustainable long-term that you can start to incorporate into your family's habits. So uh, yeah, we did that the following year, I got involved. Another mom was really into uh, reducing waste as well. And uh, what we did is we like measured all the trash in the school that was produced uh, for one day. Like you we took it all out of the trash can. Yeah, we actually had the custodian uh, save all the trash for one day and he thought we were crazy. And then with the kids in our, in our little group, we were like, okay, we get the gloves on, we're separating the trash and the kids are like, what? So we separated, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of trash was miscategorized. There's a lot of stuff in the compost that should have been in the trash and vice versa. There's a lot of things that should have been recycled that weren't. But even after we categorized everything, you know, it, it allowed us to see where the biggest problems were. And at his particular school, what was really surprising to me, and this was the entire school's trash uh, for one day. And keep in mind the kindergartners as they're walking past here, cause we happen to do it right in front of the kindergarten classes. They were like, whoa, is that all the trash from the entire year? And we're like, no, that was just from yesterday. The kids uh. jaws dropped, right? Teachers were looking and they could, cause when you see the trash, you, you realize, cause trash is sort of designed to just be uh, out of sight, out of mind, right? Mm. But when you actually look at it, you start to understand um, better how much we're producing. So when we sorted all the trash, we discovered that 90% of the trash that the school produced in a given day was from food, it was either snacks or lunch. Only 10% of all the unrecyclable trash, uncompostable trash that was there was from the classroom because most of the trash that was being generated, most of the waste was paper um, that can be recycled, right? But it was the food and the, then that all that food, we don't even have like a cafeteria at our school. So all that food was coming in from the family's households, right? It was coming in from outside. So we knew that if we tackled the lunchbox, we could reduce waste in schools. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Like, I think if we all took a look at our household trash cans, we'd, re we'd realize that the vast majority of that trash probably comes from our groceries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, in preparation for this, did a five-day zero-waste challenge just leading up to it. I started on Monday morning and um, have done my best to reduce my waste throughout the week, and I realized the exact same thing. Most of it was coming from preparing breakfast, lunch, or dinner or eating breakfast, lunch, or dinner. That was really it. I mean, a few things from the bathroom, but outside of that, like... I guess I got an Amazon package and some of that wasn't um, recyclable. And, and maybe that's something I can, we can get into a little bit because I think there's a lot of confusion between what you can recycle and what you can't recycle. So I'd love just a, a hundred foot view of that eventually. But um, I'm curious what's left. Um, and, and you have this, you had this awesome 2018 um, as, as you mentioned, you're a graphic designer and you do some photography work. So it was, you had this like beautiful journey where you took a picture of your, your Mason jar at the end of every single week and your cat would be in some of the video and <laughs> some of the pictures and whatnot. So it was a good visual. And um, 
I, I got to see a little bit about what was left in your trash can. Can you tell us um, over those 52 weeks, what did you find most often that was left in your trash can? I mean, the stuff that I still can't eliminate um, are like, let's say plastic twist ties, Mm -hmm. uh, broken rubber bands. Like I try to buy, uh, fruits and vegetables that are naked. Um, but oftentimes the broccoli comes in a rubber band or the, the carrots come in a rubber band and, and I'll reuse those as long as I can, but eventually they break. So that's one of those items receipts. Um, it's a big one that, um, yeah. Talk to us about this. Don't... This is, I was really surprised <laughs> on this. I've been recycling receipts forever. I did not realize I couldn't recycle receipts. Yeah. So they're paper, right? So we think that that's okay. And I've noticed even like in my city, they tell us that receipts can go in the blue bin. Um, but you just because you can put them in the blue bin doesn't mean we should. Um, they're actually coated in BPA, um, so, and those are those thermal paper receipts. I wish I had an example, but it's the, the, the types right of receipts <laughs> that, you know, there you go, you know, where you can like easily rub it off with your hands. Mm -hmm. um, those aren't actually printed with ink, they're printed with heat. And so basically the heat sort of like burns that little layer of plastic and that's where we get the, the, the writing. But those, because they're lined with BPA, if you put them in the recycling, they can contaminate um, the paper recycling. And if we put them in the compost, they're gonna contaminate the soil. So it's best to just put those, unfortunately, to send those to landfill. Uh, but yeah, that's one of those things that, you know, when I, when I went through my journey, you know, every single piece of waste, I would look it up. I would just, you know, it's better just to sort of assume I didn't know anything. And, and I would look things up and I discovered all sorts of things that I was, either putting in the wrong place or I found ways to recycle and reuse things that I otherwise would never have even thought of before in the interest of reducing waste. So how, how did you do the lookup process? Cause I was in the same boat. There was a lot of things I ran into that I was like, Oh, I, and I just did a quick Google search to figure out yeah. on a generic, you know, can I, can I recycle this? Can I compost this? I was surprised I used um, one of the Q-tips and found out Q-tips are actually compostable uh, as long as it's a, it's a certain If they brand. have the paper. Yeah. If it's 100% right. cotton, if they have the and it's not. Yep. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, so there's a lot of things I learned throughout the process, but is was there a resource you found yourself turning to or a website or anything that had a list of common items that, and then kind of told you the, the playbook of where to where to take it? No, I mean, and I think basically I did what you did. I just would go down this internet search like wormhole, you know, sometimes I'd get a partial answer, then I would look it up and okay, what, does that work for the home compost or just municipal compost? What about, you know, what does my city recycle? Um, because so much of it is dependent on what you have available to you locally. So mm -hmm. I would encourage everybody to just sort of become better informed because even things that I thought were recyclable I was maybe going off of information from 10 years ago when I lived in another city and we sort of just assume that things are just universally recyclable, but it mm -hmm. really depends on what your, your city or municipality accepts, because that's also dependent on what the market is, what market they have for selling those recyclable materials. So, and, and, and things are changing all mm -hmm. the time. I mean, after 2018, there was a big shift in plastic recycling. Uh, so I think it's just good to be informed um, about what your local city or town is doing. And then also trying to find, you know, like I would be looking up things like how do I recycle, you know, old clothes that aren't good enough to donate? Uh, what do I do with, uh, you know, our, our balloons, you know, are those yeah. recyclable or compostable? Are they really made out of latex? You know, like, I mean, 
And so, I mean, that's kind of why I started this website because I would, I have a journalism background. Mm -hmm. And so I would go down, you know, the rabbit hole on these things. And I would find myself sinking two or three hours trying to find the answer to a question before I would drop something in my trash can. And I thought, well, if it took me that long, I know that most reasonable people do not have the time, energy, you know, or passion about trash that I do. So I might as well share my findings and in the hopes of making it a little bit easier for someone else uh, to find that information and adopt uh, the right change, you know, so. Mm. Yeah. I, and actually, I, and, and you might agree with me here. I actually love the challenge of this all. Like it became a little bit of a game for me. And like, I was always trying to find like, Oh, what's a, like a, what's a fun Pinterest thing I could reuse this for. Or like, I, I really enjoy the, uh, the challenge of reducing and, and seeing the impact, um, that it had on my waste as well. So what's, um, so something that I that we've mentioned a few times is plastic, uh, and I'd like to start there. What, why is plastic so problematic? Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? <laughs> as much time as you want to be. I'd talk to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, plastic is made from fossil fuels. So already it's bad for the environment. Um, it's bad in terms of climate change, uh, and plastic actually harms the environment every step of its process from the time it's extracted uh, until the time it's disposed. So that's, that's a big one. Uh, plastic is actually supporting the fossil fuel industry. Um, second, uh, we are way, making just way too much plastic. Um, about 300 million tons of plastic is created every single year. And we're actually um, like the, the plastic producers they're actually planning on making more plastic. They're actually increasing their capacity for making plastic, um, investing millions, if not billions of dollars in plastic creating facilities because they see, these fossil fuel companies see that as we start to shift to renewables, this is a, a huge problem. What are they gonna do with this oil? And plastic is a great way for them to make money um, and sort of offset the loss from us shifting to um, a, a lower carbon economy. Uh, so we're just making way too much of it. And what are we gonna do with all this plastic once it's created? That's the other problem. Um, plastic never goes away. Uh, contrary to what you may hear that it will take 500 years or a thousand years to uh, quote unquote biodegrade. The problem is that plastic never disappears. Plastic, once it's created, is always going to be plastic. All it does is break down into smaller and smaller pieces. Um, I think probably a lot of your listeners have probably heard of microplastics. So basically, plastic um, is a very durable material, but it will photodegrade. In other words, it'll start to break down uh, when it's exposed to light and UV rays. And what it does is it just breaks down into smaller pieces, um, whether that's microplastics or even smaller uh, breaking down into nanoplastics. Mm. So that enables plastic to basically contaminate every ecosystem on earth. So microplastics are in our water. We hear about that a lot, right? In terms of ocean pollution, it's in our water, our air, our soil, <laughs> our food, and in our own bodies. So, uh, this is a, a big problem. And plastic, 
is made with chemicals. So it's, uh, it leaches chemicals when it um, breaks down, uh, but it also attracts pollutants, which is uh, another like superpower of plastic and it's not a good one. So when uh, plastic finds itself in the environment, whether that's in the ocean or in soil, it has this property where it's almost like a magnet for toxins and pollutants. And so uh, when animals ingest plastic, they're not just getting the, the chemicals that the plastic is made out of, but they're also getting all the toxins that sort of uh, hitched a ride onto that little piece of plastic. So, you know, I'd love to see plastic be labeled like a hazardous material mm, and that too. we treat it as such because it is harmful in every um, sense of the word. And so, so that's the problem with plastic. And then uh, a lot of people might be thinking, but recycling, right? Like, but we can recycle it. Well, there's another a whole big problem because you know we are creating so much plastic, we're creating more plastic than we could ever recycle. Um, and to date, only about 9% of all the plastic ever created has actually been recycled. Wow. Um, and, you know, part of that, part of the problem is that um, only certain types of plastics are easily recyclable. Um, they're the ones that have like the number one or maybe number two um, on the little label. Uh, and even those plastics, the, the lucky 9%, they can only be recycled once or maybe twice at best. So before. is that what the one or two stands for? Is it? No, that's been... the type of plastic. Oh, okay. Um, the number one is PET. I forget what the number two yeah, is, no but it's sort of like the level of plastic. And so, and where can we find that on, on, well, it's usually the number one with like the little recycling symbol around it or number gotcha. two. Um, so a lot of, you know, like detergent bottles, like those thicker products. Um, I think a lot of drinking water, you know, like beverage containers, I think are usually a, a one or a two, but even then like, only a small number, a small fraction of them actually get recycled. And when they get recycled, they're often, uh, because plastic actually melts or degrade, it has to be downcycled. It's not recycled in the way that a lot of us might think of recycling. We like to think of things like, you know, metal and glass can be infinitely recycled. Plastic can only be recycled once or twice because the recycling process itself actually damages the plastic and weakens mm -hmm. it. So it becomes a lower grade um, material. And so a lot of times it'll get combined with something else like wood fibers or pulp or something else, which then makes it a composite material and no longer able to be recycled, right? So it just, and it's sort of like taking the long route to the landfill, unfortunately. Um, and that's only the 9% that actually gets recycled. The rest doesn't get recycled. It's either gonna be put into a landfill or incinerated. Um, and that's because it's so much cheaper and easier to use virgin plastic than it is to use recycled plastic. Mm. Uh, recycling takes a lot of energy and money and it creates a lower quality product. So unless companies are incentivized in some way to use this recycled plastic material, there isn't really a market for it. Um, so that's part of the like the economics of recycling too that is driving a lot of these um, changes. But you know, the, the biggest problem is that we're just creating so much of this material that really we have no safe way to dispose of. Mm. Yeah. Now I severely hate plastic. You did that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I realized the uphill battle we're going to face here, both on the corporate side, just 
um, on the, the cost incentive piece to it to use plastic. And then on the individual side, I see a lot of plastic in convenience type or disposable lifestyle type products. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure how to overcome that. But I think one good way of starting to think about it is this five R's model that you have. Can you tell us what the five R's are and walk us through this? Yes. So I think probably all of your listeners have probably heard of the three R's, like re uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've had that drummed into my head for you know, the last probably 20 years. Um, and those are great, but I have found that I think most people, they hear reduce, reuse, recycle, and they really kind of focus on the recycle part. And we don't really focus on the reduce and reuse part. Um, in order to really reduce our waste in a meaningful way, um, we need to add some other R's to that equation. Um, and I didn't come up with this. There are lots of different five R models, but the one that I, um, tried to use is refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle, and rot. So adding this refuse at the beginning and adding rot at the end, which is just an R word for compost. <laughs> um, but the refusing means, you know, refusing all the things that you don't need. 95% um, of our products environmental damage has already occurred by the time you've like picked it up off the shelf. So whether you recycle it or not is unfortunately going to make very little difference in the whole scheme of things because it's all that uphill um, you know destruction and all the transportation costs uh, all that stuff's already built into the product by the time you decide to purchase it so by refusing the things we don't need we basically eliminate waste at the source um, and then of course reducing the amount of things that we do need um, reusing uh, which would just mean uh, reusing the things we have around our home, uh, giving things a second life, uh, buying things secondhand instead of buying things new. And then um, obviously recycling and rotting um, are just two different forms of waste management. So I really like to focus on the first three R's, the refuse, reduce, reuse, because if you do that, you have very little left over to either um, recycle or compost and then hopefully a very small amount that you'll be sending to landfill. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love this model and it's, um, it, it's a pyramid, you know, starting with the, the refuse and working your way up. If, if you're thinking through your head there and, um, I think the refuse will make the biggest impact because if we're looking at it, the sense of like, Oh, the 95% already, it's already implanted. Once we buy the product, we can only make this small sliver of impact Yes and no. If we start refusing products, I think corporations will respond to that and start using more sustainable packaging or um, look at that product in an entirely different lens. So I love that piece to it. You also have some really neat um, reuse DIY type project things on your website. Can you tell us about one of your favorite reuse methods? Well, a simple thing that I like to do because it doesn't require, you know, any sort of knowledge, all you need is like some, a good pair of scissors is like whenever we have clothing um, that isn't good enough to donate, maybe it's stained or it's got holes in it. Um, my, my son's pajamas are a perfect example. For whatever reason, they never get back to the thrift store. We wear holes in pajamas here. Um, and so I like to just cut them up um, into uh, like squares, basically, the, the, the usable parts. And we use those as handkerchiefs. Mm. 
very simple thing to do. And we've got these lovely little cloth handkerchiefs. Some of them have, you know, really cute little designs on them, which remind us of, you know, the, the clothing, but it's also really soft and on a sore nose, it's really nice. But yeah, these are just simple things that we do to um, just give, give material a second life. I love that. And then going back to refuse, what I've found researching you, a lot of the refuse aspect is preparation. It's it's knowing um, whenever you're going out, preparing for, for some of these single-use products that you're going to face and having an alternative. Can you tell us about your zero-waste survival kit? <laughs> yes. It's all about anticipating, right? What you're, what you're probably going to run into because it is a little bit of an uphill battle, but if you're prepared, you can pretty much avoid everything. So, you know, back before the pandemic, I used to go out a lot more and basically as soon as I'd leave the house, I'd bring what we called our zero waste kit. And um, if it were just me, that would involve a reusable bottle. Um, I have a, a metal one that is like a stainless steel double insulated. So it was great for hot drinks and cold drinks. Mm. Um, I would bring uh, a couple Tupperware containers um, that nested inside of themselves. Like uh, mine have to be plastic because it's lightweight and I already had them. Um, and this would be great if I were to go out at a restaurant or I'd go to a friend's house. It was a way for me to take home leftovers and not waste any food. Um, sometimes I'd throw in a couple of these uh, cloth napkins that I made out of uh, recycled clothing. And uh, depending on if we were planning on getting a malt or a smoothie, we'd bring um, a reusable straw. Mm. And I would, um, we've decided we kind of like these silicone straws. And so we'd bend those and put those in the Tupperware. Again, so they take up very little space. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in our zero waste, but that's about it. And I would just have that in a, a cloth bag. I'd throw my wallet in there and it doubles as a purse. So it doesn't actually take up a lot of space, but that would generally, um, account for anything I'd run into. Oh, the other thing is a set of uh, utensils. Hmm. There's no need to go out and buy special zero waste utensils. Um, I think we all have a spoon, fork and knife probably in a drawer. Um, and I would just throw those in there as well. Hmm. Yeah, that is definitely, I'm making myself a, a zero waste survival kit. I think that's a genius idea just because I was out my, my siblings came into town and we went out and grabbed some barbecue at, uh, at a food truck. Food trucks are really big here in Austin. And it was unbelievable. It's one of those food trucks where, you know, everything they give you, they want you to just throw away. So, I, and I was going to ask you about this, this little paper, uh, paper container that the barbecue came in. I wasn't sure if I could compost this or not, just because I read, um, depending on, you know, soiled paper, whatever you, you know, if it's heavy in, in fats or, or meats or something, you might not want to compost all those, but we also had plastic forks. And the, of course the fork and the knife, and the spoon came with the napkin that was wrapped in a, uh, some plastic. And I was just like looking at all this and I was like, Oh my gosh. And then like the little plastic cup that they put the barbecue sauce in mm. and everything. And I was like, I feel like I'm, I'm killing mother nature right here. <laughs> so it's definitely something uh, I am going to, to create. And I encourage everyone to go out there and do that as well. I think this is a, that's a really easy takeaway from this episode. And as you mentioned, you don't need to go out and buy this kit. Just find these things around the house <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and reuse them. So jumping- And just, and leave them in your, in your purse or your backpack or your car, wherever you're most likely to run into those things. If you have a, if you take, you know, you take your bike everywhere, you could just have them there as a, 
just in case, or that's why I like to call it like my little emergency kit. And I only have to swap it out if I actually use it, but <laughs> it's just always there just in case. And I also have a spare uh, reusable bag that mm. I bundle up, I knot up in a really small thing and I put in a little pocket so that if ever I'm, you know, decide to make a last minute run at a grocery store or go shopping, I've got a reusable bag on me at all times. Mm. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. So getting into composting now, uh, the rot, the the fifth R. Um, I think a lot of people have heard the word composting. There might be some listeners that compost, but I don't know if we all know how to compost, how to do it the right way. You're speaking to a lot of twenty year olds, so we're in small apartments, or uh, it's us and you know three other roommates, whatnot. So first. I want to start with a broad question. Why can't you just throw your food scraps away? Don't they just compost in the landfill itself? Right. I think a lot, I know I used to think that a landfill was just a gigantic like compost heap. And I think part of the reason I thought that is because they sell compostable trash bags at the store. Mm -hmm. So it makes you think that like, oh, well, that's better because that will eventually biodegrade in the landfill. And then all the stuff that I throw in the bag will eventually biodegrade as well. It's just slower. That's at least what I thought until I learned more about it. Well, it turns out landfills are actually designed not to let things biodegrade Mm. um, because they are uh, sealed. First, there's a, a clay layer. They're just basically giant holes lined with plastic in some form or fashion because we don't want all the stuff that's in the landfill to leach into our soil, water, and air. Even though they they inevitably do, we try to reduce that as much as possible. So when we put um, food scraps and organic material like uh, you know grass clippings and anything else that could conceivably return to nature, we put that in the landfill. It can't actually biodegrade naturally. That's because landfills are designed to be Um, anaerobic spaces. In other words, oxygen-free zones. They are trying to slow or prevent um, the decomposition process as much as possible. So when we send things that should be able to decompose naturally there in an oxygen-free zone, those materials create methane instead of carbon dioxide. Now, if you hear those things, you're probably like, well, carbon dioxide is bad and methane is bad but methane is so much worse. So yes, they're both greenhouse gases, but methane is a hundred times more potent than carbon dioxide in the first five years of its life. Uh, carbon, uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will last a hundred years. In fact, m- many more centuries. Um, so they will look at the environmental damage of carbon dioxide over a very long period of time. Um, and they, they, they generally compare everything to carbon um, over a hundred year span. Methane doesn't uh, actually persist in the atmosphere that long, only about a decade. So all of its environmental damage is concentrated in those first 10 years. Although you might hear, oh, methane is 20 to 30 times more potent than carbon dioxide. That's over a hundred years. They basically divide out the damage of methane over a hundred years, even though methane doesn't persist in the environment for a hundred years. So it is a hundred times more effective at uh, trapping in heat than carbon dioxide. And so methane is a huge uh, issue in terms of climate change and mitigating climate effects because 
it's something that we can remove from the atmosphere and actually see the benefits of that in the short term. And I think we all probably realize that the sooner the better in terms of reducing those greenhouse gas emissions. And methane, it doesn't live in the atmosphere for very long. Um, I think I was looking this up this morning uh, in advance of our talk. There are about 2,000 active landfills in the United States. And according, I think this is according to the EPA, about 15% of um, the US methane emissions come from landfills. Wow. So reducing our trash, reducing um, the amount of material we put into landfills and reducing those methane emissions can actually, it's a very important part of the uh, climate equation. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sold on that. Um, back to composting on this, and and I, I don't want you to go into creating um, a compost system. If anybody is interested, go to YouTube. There are hundreds of videos on setting these up for backyard composting or uh, under the sink composting, whatever it may be. And a lot of people also will have access to local resources where you can drop composting off as well. I figured that out about Austin, but um, just in a broad stroke, what can be composted? What are things that you're putting into your compost? So um, when I'm cooking, right? So all of my food scraps, you know, banana peels, uh, avocado peels, uh, onion remnants, all these little things from cooking, um, any sort of uh, food soiled paper. So let's say we do uh, pizza takeout, the pizza takeout box, rather than put that in my recycling where all that food and grease could contaminate uh, the paper recycling, I just compost that. I'll shred it into smaller pieces to facilitate the decomposition process. Um, generally speaking, because we have very little uh, plastic in our home, all of our floor sweepings um, go directly into the compost bin. So when I sweep the floors, basically that's cat hair, uh, human hair, uh, and dust, right? So all of that can go into the compost, nail clippings, uh, we trim our own hairs, we've got a lot of little hair clippings. Uh, what else? Yeah, all those crumbs, anything from food, uh, you know, if something goes bad, uh, we just throw it in the compost um, if we're not able to finish it, which is rare. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, we have biodegradable silk floss that we use. So our, uh, our silk floss goes in there. Uh, we love our compost bin. It, you know, as long as anything is, you know, anything that's naturally based, that's like um, paper or, um, or food-based generally, as long as it doesn't have anything synthetic in there is compostable. Mm -hmm. And then um, you compost it and you create some really rich soil. Do you use that soil then for your garden? I do. Nice. Yeah, I, I do a mix. I have, um, well, now two, but I had three compost bins actually in my backyard. Three? <laughs> um, and yeah, and my, um, my city uh, has composting. They started it, I believe, a year ago. So I send a lot of it to the curb and the city takes care of it. Um, but in my home bin, I also have compost in various stages of decomposition because it does take a long time. I live in Canada mm. where it's kind of cold. And so the composting process slows down considerably over the winter. So it can take um, maybe two years for me to have usable compost. But I just had a bunch of cedar trees planted in my backyard and I use all the compost that was produced in one of my compost bins to amend um, that soil. 
So now I'm down to two. I have an empty one. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I, and I like following your journey too, because it's interesting. I, I saw that you post about the cedar trees as well. Um, you got a lot of really great stuff on, on your, on any, whatever platform, you know, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I encourage people if they want some ideas, like the great one I saw recently was when all the leaves drop, you shredded them up and then you use them for mulch and put them in your garden. And I was like, oh, that was genius versus bagging that up and even sending that to, to the compost. Yep. Mm. So, uh, Talking about recycling again, you briefly mentioned maybe a hierarchy of um, materials. Do you have a preference on if we got to go to the store and we want some black beans or whatever it may be, what, what are you typically reaching for picking up versus opting out of? Okay. So I would say with any food product, there's sort of a, a good, better, best. Uh-huh option. Um, and so anything where you can avoid plastic is already like a huge improvement. So in the case of, we'll use your beans as an example, uh, buying them loose in bulk, if you can find a place that will allow you to buy beans in bulk, um, that would be ideal because then there's no packaging. If they let you to use, uh, your own bags, for example, or own containers. Um, after that, I would say, uh, probably cans would be the next best option because metal is infinitely recyclable. Um, the, the caveat with cans though, is that they're often lined with uh, BPA, depends on where you live. So they're, so those cans can be lined with plastic, but they're still recyclable. How do you, how do you know um, if they are? And, um, that's a good question. I guess okay. you would have to uh, look and see what the regulations are, I think like in Canada, I think those that has been outlawed, but um, they're still lined with something, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether it might not be BPA, but it might be another type of plastic to make it um, so they don't corrode as quickly. Um, what else? Yeah, so I guess that would be, and, are and you then typically... if you can't find a plastic. Uh -huh. are, are you typically pulling the labels off the outside of the can um, or like when you recycle something like a, you know, tomato sauce and do you pull the sticker off or like a wine bottle? Do you, do you do anything with that or do you just rinse it out, put it into your recycle? So I always rinse and uh, you don't have to like wash it completely, mm -hmm. but I usually take like hot water and I try to get all the food out of there that I can. Um, and then in the case of metal cans, I do take the paper off. Um, because that is separately recyclable. And uh, another thing that I do is like, if I buy something in a paper box, like this, a perfect example is pasta, you know, is a good, better, best. When you're going to the store to buy dried pasta, you can buy it oftentimes in a plastic bag. But if mm -hmm. you looked, it's probably available in a cardboard box with a plastic window. I take off the plastic window before I put that in the recycling bin um, and put that in my trash. And then I recycle the cardboard box. Hmm. Uh, same thing with like uh, deliveries. Like oftentimes they're, they have plastic tape. I take the plastic tape off before I put it in the recycling bin. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that gives a good baseline um, for people to start acting on, you know, both any of the five R's there. I like that method. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, because this was, I thought a really great tip that you brought up was about junk mail uh, and refusing junk mail. How yes. did you refuse your junk mail? So um, 
I'm American living in Canada. So I actually have experience on both sides of the border um, in case you have any Canadian listeners. Mm -hmm. So in Canada, um, you can put a sign uh, that says uh, no, like no publicities. So I took us, um, I don't know if you guys get these, but these circulars that come on your doorstep twice a week, we have uh, something called Publisac, which is basically a bag of advertising mm. that shows up at your doorstep every two, uh, two days a week. So right away, I, I, on the bag, I saw that I could refuse it. I was like, great. So I called the company. They sent me two stickers that basically have like a picture of like uh, newspapers with a, a red bar over it. Yep. And you have to put that by your front door. So I, I actually stuck that right in the center of my front door. And that eliminated uh, 104 plastic bags, not to mention, you know, an inch thick worth of circular ads um, that were going into the recycling bin before. Mm-hmm. I eliminated that. But then uh, that was my doorstep junk mail. But then I still had my mailbox junk mail, right? Um, so they had given me two stickers and I thought, well, I don't need this other sticker. So I'm going to put this other sticker in my mailbox. Mm. So when they open it, um, and that's a way to avoid any unsolicited mail. So anything that doesn't have my name and address on it um, doesn't need to be delivered to me. Uh, that is something with Canada Post. They basically say, if you have a sign that says no unsolicited mail, uh, they won't put that in there. And so over time, I hope that those real estate agents and, you know, the telecom companies, they will realize that a lot of their mail is not getting delivered and start to reduce those print runs. Mm. Um, So I've eliminated all of that junk mail. Now I know it's a little bit harder in the United States because I was getting um, catalogs and all sorts of mail from uh, telecom companies, internet companies, cable companies, even though I hadn't lived there in many years, my poor mother was because that was my last US address. So I actually uh, took a stack of all the mail that I'd gotten while I was away and went to each individual website, got myself either on, you know, no send list or actually contacted them directly and asked them no longer to send uh, whatever they were sending. And it stopped. Nice. So it just, it took time though. I mean, it took a couple hours probably to, Mm -hmm. to find on the website who to contact and you know, send the appropriate email to say, please do not send anything more to this address. Um, but and I, I you can think reduce it a lot. Yeah, and I think if people are overwhelmed by setting out three hours of their Saturday to, to call companies, every time you get your mail, just pick one and yeah. uh, call one and try to get one out of that circulation. Because I, I agree, most of that we take, we look at, we flip through, we grab the two or three envelopes that we need, and the rest just hits the trash of the recycle, one of the two. Uh, and it's a shame. So I, I really liked that tip. Thanks for sharing that. Um, this coming out right around the holidays, I would love to talk just a little bit about Christmas. This is probably going to come out about two weeks before Christmas happens. Uh, and you had a lot of really great ideas around Christmas. Actually, I just saw your birthday post with your your son too. Um, can you tell us a couple strategies around reducing your waste at Christmas? Okay, so the biggest thing is that we just need to reduce our consumption, right? We just need to be buying less things. And so um, if we take that approach to our gift giving as well as our gift receiving, um, we can make a big impact. Uh, so you know, instead of asking for tangible 
things. Um, I like to gift experiences. If you feel the need to give something, um, that could be like, you know, oftentimes uh, I will gift my son, you know, a day dog sledding or, you know, well, a, a ski pass or, you know, something along those lines. I try to, if someone is asking for gift ideas, I tell them intangible things. Mm. Um, experiences. I try to think about making memories, not waste. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I love that. And, you know, other things that I, I don't want to see like plastic toys and things coming into the house either. So if there is going to be a tangible thing, I'd prefer it to be, you know, books or clothing or something that I could conceivably give another life to by giving to another child down the road. Mm. So um, secondhand gifts too. I absolutely love and consumable gifts. Like I like making things for people. Like I like to make cookies, um, every year for friends everybody and loves cookies, <laughs> Who doesn't love cookies. Right. And there's no waste there except for maybe a couple crumbs. Um, we clear our plates and, um, in terms of gift wrapping, uh, we steer clear of paper gift wrapping and, you know, either use like reusable bags or we wrap things in cloth. Um, we put things in pillowcases, you know, get creative, but there's absolutely no reason why there should be a pile of trash after opening presents. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think we all have that memory, uh, regardless of how old you are, you can remember back Christmas Day, and it's maybe you and a couple of your siblings, and you rip through all the presents, and you got a stack of all these gifts, and then you look over and there's like three trash bags full of just wrapping paper. So when I saw that post at you, uh, all the creative ways that you can just use things around the house, like the pillowcases yeah. or the scarf or whatever, to wrap up little gifts, uh, I was like, man, that's genius. That's awesome. That's so fun. So yeah, I, I highly encourage people to take some of these into action. Um, and I just thought it'd be a good timely tip for with once again, with the holidays coming up here. So as we, as we close out this conversation, Tippy, uh, I have to ask the question, you know, people hear this new year is approaching. They want to start their own journey. What would you recommend be the first step that people take? Okay. Well, there's a couple different approaches. The one approach, which is very similar to what you're doing is just start to pay attention to your trash and see what you're throwing away before you take it out to the curb. And um, if you want to make a big impact right away, just sort of look and see what is the thing that's taking up the most space in your trash can and tackle that one thing. Mm. Um, so it may be, you know, depending on your lifestyle, it could be takeout containers. It could be, um, I have no idea. Like maybe it's paper towels or whatever it is. Um, take one thing and find a more sustainable replacement, a trash-free alternative to that thing. You're going to make a big impact right away. Once you feel like you've got that under control, pick a second thing. Um, the other approach would be to just pick some easy swaps. So like some of my favorite easy zero waste swaps are um, bar soap very simple, you know, try to, don't go and buy another bottle of soap. Again, that could be, uh, you know, hand soap or face wash or whatever. Um, find a bar soap equivalent. Uh, because when you think about liquid soap, it's like 90% or more water. And mm. um, 
it's so much more efficient to just buy a bar of soap than it is to buy a liquid and you're saving all those plastic bottles from inevitably getting incinerated or going to landfill. Honestly, they probably mm. won't get recycled. Um, another place, if you're a coffee drinker like me, um, just starting with your coffee routine, you know, um, making it a practice to start making your coffee at home. Uh, and if you do want it on the go, uh, investing in a nice container that can hold hot liquid safely, uh, that right there um, will eliminate a lot of uh, disposable coffee cups if you're mm -hmm. getting your coffee out. And, um, and then you can clean up your coffee routine even more by how you make it, you know, making sure you're not using disposable coffee cartridges and you're actually um, maybe using beans or buying your beans in paper, um, lots of different ways to sort of reduce the environmental impact of what I think is a lovely morning, you know, ritual. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my roommate brought a French press and it's uh, a zero waste option for us as well. So that's really cool. And I also saw you helped your mom move away from K-cups, um, disposable yeah. K-cups, and she's either, either using reusable K-cups or um, grounded beans, whatever it may be. How that relationship in particular, how did you go about encouraging um her to move towards this more sustainable or zero waste lifestyle? Well, that's the thing. I didn't really encourage her. <laughs> um, I don't think, I don't believe in sort of telling people what to do. I feel like it's more effective to sort of just show people and, and maybe lead by example. So mm. I had started on this journey and I told her about it. And I think she thought I was a little crazy. <laughs> But, you know, she did her best to respect my wishes. And so she would ask, like, what can I get your son for his birthday? Or what is it safe for me to get him for Christmas? Um, these sorts of things. But I was posting these things on Facebook and on my website, um, some of these ideas. And she had seen enough of these posts. And I started noticing that she was liking them. And I thought, well, that's cool. Like, she's seeing my stuff and she's encouraging me. And I thought she was doing it from a, a, a very good motherly place, but it turns out she was actually, it really started to make her think. And so she asked me, you know, the next time we talk on the phone, you know, uh, where do you get those um, reusable straws? Because I don't want to buy another box. Uh, I said, oh, you don't need to buy any. I've got some for me. I'll bring them when I come and visit. Uh, and then she, then she started thinking about her coffee too, right? She's like, well, I feel really guilty now with the Keurig and I don't know what I should do. Should I donate the machine or, you know, and I said, no, no, no. I, you know, if you donate the machine, you're encouraging someone else to buy all those disposable cups. So maybe what we can do is essentially turn your Keurig machine into an espresso machine by just using those reusable they reusable cups. Mm -hmm. And she goes, Oh, I don't know how to do that. Can you show me because I don't want to make a mistake. I don't know where to buy. So that was her Christmas gift that year. Mm. I bought her some reusable K cups and I went to the grocery store. She normally goes to, and we found, you know, the best alternative was to actually get the beans in a paper bag. She didn't even know that those existed, right? <laughs> she never really knew. If you don't look for it, you don't notice. It's true. That that there, that there are oftentimes um, less wasteful options just under our noses. So mm -hmm. in that same aisle, but on the other end, there was a place where she could fill her beans. I showed her how to do it. My mom's very shy. So she didn't want to do anything that was like 
outside of her comfort zone that she'd never done before for fear of making a mistake. So I did it with her. We got like a pound or two of coffee. So she was set for a while. And then I showed her how you could grind it right next door. Mm. Right. So yep. we did an espresso grind and she was, uh, she was set. So like after I left for the holidays, this was last Christmas, I think she, uh, she's like, Oh, I've been using the the cups and it's really good. You know, we had to figure out what the right ratio was, but I did all of the, the, you know, it's hard to make a change. Like, I think it's, 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 you don't want to not like the outcome. And so if I've experimented or tried something and I know it works, I like to share it so that people don't have to have that angst of, well, I don't want to waste my money doing this and then I'm not going to like it. So, mm. so yeah, but I think it was just seeing uh, what I was doing and, and feeling like, okay, there's probably some places that she could make changes as well. So now she tells me all the things that she, <laughs> she does like, Oh, you know, you're going to be so proud of me, Tippy. I started doing this or I stopped, you know, buying this. And I was like, wow, that's great. So I think there's room. I think we, there's all, all of us have, there's a little bit of room someplace in our lives where, you know, there's like low hanging fruit, you know, where we won't, we won't mind refusing or reducing in those places. And I think every little bit, um, helps. I, that's why I don't really advocate for zero waste, like, because it's impossible. And I think for a lot of people, it sounds, it's very intimidating and it sounds impossible. And in, in fact, it is. So rather than get caught up on zero waste, I like to talk about reducing waste and mm. talking about tiny trash, because it's about shrinking our trash as much as we comfortably can. And I think a lot of us, if we start looking at our, our the waste that we produce, we probably realize that we could shrink it a lot more than where we are right now. No, that's super cool. Man, Tippy, this has been an awesome conversation. Before I ask my last question, where can people connect with you? What resources do you have available? How can people um, help themselves along in this journey? Well, um, I'd love for people to visit uh, my website, tinytrashcan.com. And I have um, lots of recipes that I've, basically started doing to eliminate plastic in my kitchen, um, storage tips, uh, think what to do about holidays, uh, zero waste swaps. I've got so many little tips about things that you can do in our own personal lives to reduce waste. And then I also share all that content on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. So you can find me um, on Tiny Trash Can on any of one of those um, platforms. And uh, reaching out to me is great. I, I will respond to anybody who re reaches out to me on my website or social platforms. Mm. If you have like specific questions about how do I, how do I reduce this particular piece of waste? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to use you as a resource as well as I start my journey here, just because there are so many things, like you said, the, the two or three hour rabbit hole, you can get on some of these items. Um, so I'd love to talk to an experienced, uh, zero waster. I don't know if that's, that's the right, uh, uh noun for you. But, uh, <laughs> so, so Tippy, I, my final question, we all have things that we wish we would have started earlier in life. Um, I would like to ask you the question, what is one habit you wish you would have started at 20 years old. And I can probably guess where that would go in terms of zero waste, but outside of the zero waste um, uh, movement that you become a part of, what is one habit you wish you would have started at 20? Like uh, a daily habit? Anything or? you want, a ritual, a habit, a practice that you have in any cadence. It could be an annual thing you do. Um, it could be a monthly thing, a weekly thing, or a daily thing. 
Well, one of the things um, that I wish I would have known about a long time ago is actually uh, reusable sanitary products for when I have when I'm on my period. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know these things existed. When I had my son, I put him on cloth diapers um, because I knew that there was less environmental impact there than with disposable diapers. But I never it, it never occurred to me um, to turn the the mirror around to myself and see oh here's a disposable product I'm using every single month um, and to see if there were reusable options and there mm-hmm. are um, I wish I would have made that switch a long time ago so like I use um, a menstrual cup and period underwear and uh, reusable cotton menstrual pads mm. for my period and I feel so much better um, just mentally but also physically um, sure. it's actually a much healthier um, way to manage our periods than all the disposable products that are full of chemicals and bleach and are very harmful to women's uh, reproductive health. So it's one of those places where, again, what's good for the planet is also good for our bodies. So that was one of those switches that I would have saved myself so much money too. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And I, I did not realize this, uh, being a male, not using these products, it, I was blind to this. And then, uh, I've had a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks about this, having two female roommates, mm. um, one being my girlfriend. And, and she, she told me, she's like, one of the biggest single waste areas that I have is, is when my period comes up. Uh, so she's really excited to get, um, I can't remember the brand, but she's getting some period underwear as well. Um, it's thick, maybe I, I can't remember. Thanks. Yeah. Maybe yes. Thanks. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's it. There's that's a few all- different brands. Yeah. That's- but they're great. Yeah, that's on her uh, Christmas list. Is that the brand that you would recommend or is there a brand that you would? I don't like to recommend brands per se just because I haven't tried all of them, Um, but I am familiar with them and they're great, but there's lots of other brands that are coming out, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of different options. Okay. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Awesome. Well, Tippy, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I would encourage people as they start their journey to continue to reach out to you. And maybe we'll do a part two. If we got some more follow-up questions, we can do something maybe mid next year as people start and have some more questions. So I'm really excited about continuing our relationship and our, our conversations. And I want to hear how your um, journey goes too. I, I will keep you updated along the entire <laughs> path. Thanks again, Tippy. Great. Thank you. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If this episode brought value to you, share it with a friend and show love on social. You can tag me at Justin Lee Peters. The link to the show notes is in the episode description and we'll include all the resources we talked about today. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time in the sandbox.